Amen. Good morning. It's good to see your faces. If you have a Bible, you can work to Romans chapter 13. We'll get started. In fact, I'll read our passage this morning and then pray for us and we'll dive in from there. So Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. I'll read it. I ask you to listen carefully. This is God's word. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. This is... God's word. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away. What you just read never will. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you now in the name of your Son and in the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, in light of this passage, in light of the events of this week, Lord, we cry out on behalf of the people of Ukraine right now. We pray for a supernatural protection over them and of, of your church, even as they gather on this Sunday to worship you in the midst of, uh, of terror. Lord, we pray that you would break the teeth of the enemy. We pray that you would repel this travesty. We pray that you would raise up uh, authorities and nations to push back the darkness in this situation. We pray for our brothers and sisters gathered together. We pray that the Holy Spirit would come and fill them with faith and courage in this moment. We pray that the gospel would be clear in their hearts and their lives, that they would uh, live lives that commend the gospel amongst their countrymen now, and that Jesus would be seen and savored even in the midst of such a travesty. Lord, we pray for our time, that even in this place that we get to uh, worship freely and gather Lord, that we would not take it for granted right now that your word has a word for us. So give us ears to hear, hearts to embrace, and minds to understand what you have for us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, uh, obviously, at the beginning of the week is different than the end of the week here with uh, the events going on in in Ukraine. But nonetheless, I think it's providential that God would have us in this particular passage uh, as we go. And and as I was coming into this week, I I, I wanted to kind of just do some of what the passage commands us to do, to show respect and show honor. And one of that is, one of the ways we do that is just to know our history, uh, know know what's gone on. And so uh, one of the great privileges of of my life has been to pastor uh, in a military community overseas for 10 years. And 
And so uh, just fascinated with all of that, uh, but also some family history. Uh, Both my grandfathers served in World War II. Both of them served in Japan. And so uh, I read a book uh, this week called uh, called, uh, The Old Breed by Eugene Sledge. It's just a a biography of World War II, the Battle of Peleliu and Okinawa. He served with the 5th Marines. And and I read this book also kind of as a personal history, uh, family history story, because my grandfather was a Marine in the 5th Marines, and he served, and he served on Iwo Jima. And I remember as a kid hearing some of the stories, although not from him because that, that generation really didn't share the stories, but from my grandmother who, who would tell his story often, how uh, as, he, as they went on to the black sands of Iwo, Iwo Jima and, and worked their way, just spent several days on his face in the sand, uh, do- dodging bullets. Uh, but, but eventually that story always led to the culmination of that story, that he was shot in Iwo Jima. He was shot uh, through the shoulder, uh, and as it headed toward his heart, uh, it actually hit his, his, his billfold, which was right there, and some coins in there the, that stopped the bullet. Put a hole in the coin, but stopped the bullet. As he was shot, he, he raised his hand, he said, I, I got mine, and immediately a, a Japanese soldier with a bayonet uh, came over the ridge and uh, raised it high to plunge it down into my grandfather, and in that moment, uh, my grandfather's buddy shot the Japanese soldier dead. And, and, and I always ponder and I've always wondered about that moment just uh, of millimeters and, and split seconds and, and just the providence of God and, and how uh, my dad is alive because of that, how I'm alive and, and telling that story to my children like this is how close you came to never existing. And so this week I, I was uh, with my, my dad and I, we were talking about the story and he had just recently got the, the purple heart uh, from, uh, from his brother back uh, from him. And so I said, can I, can I see that? He said, yeah, so this is the, the purple heart that he got for being shot on Iwo Jima. And, and I just, again, just marvel at, at God's grace and mercy. But as he opened up this case, he said uh, he discovered something else in this case with the purple heart. There's the Japanese bullet that shot him. So it's a little piece of national history, but also personal history. And this is... uh, was just amazing to me. So I wanted to just kind of honor that and, and, and think through that and give thanks to God through that. And then, of course, uh, as we saw things unfold this week in, in Ukraine. And man, I've been all over that, spent so much time on that, just been praying over that, just spent like waking up in the middle of the night praying and uh, just marveling at, at so far just the, the courage uh, and, uh, of the, the Ukrainian people and, and the leadership. Am I right, right? Like, can we get some of that here, right? Can we get, could we get anyone that's like, hey, I don't need a ride. I need ammunition. Could we, could we get just some, some courage back in, in, our, in our leadership? I, I, and I've pondered all that. And Romans chapter 3 speaks to this, or chapter 13 speaks to all this, but it speaks to it in a way that at first is really, really difficult for us to hear and understand. Uh, it's a controversial passage, it's always been controversial, but it's controversial for Americans who, who prize our, our, our freedom. And anytime we see uh, in, in the word or anywhere uh, the, the call to submit, there's just something in us that rises up and says, no, 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 we, we don't do that. that. That's just not who, our cultural DNA. So, so it's controversial for us now, but it's always been controversial. 
Origen in the second century, who was a church father, he wrote uh, about this. He, he said, it disturbs me that the Apostle Paul w- would call the Roman government God's ministers. He was disturbed by it. Well, he, of course he was. He was being persecuted by that same government. No doubt the, the church that got this letter, and as they're going through the letter and they get to this part, they, they've got some objections. They've got, they're disturbed by it. Paul, what do you mean? Submit to the governing authorities. These are the same authorities that put our Lord Jesus to death. These are the same authorities that are increasingly bringing the heat and persecution into our own lives. What do you mean by that? And this goes all the way back to our first parents in the garden when they were called to submit to one thing, one rule, and they said, no, we don't want to do that. So, so this, is, this is a tough passage. And I think there's two ways that we can uh, misuse, misapply, misunderstand, misinterpret this passage. One, uh, I would say, is uh, take it as a, a, a very, what I call a, a super flat interpretation. So, so just on the surface, for example, it, it seems pretty clear uh, we, we are all to submit. And so uh, just to kind of say, well, that, that's what it says. That's what it means. We always just submit to it and just kind of put up with it. I don't think that honors really some of the nuance of this passage, even what Paul is going to show us and point to, but the, uh, the bigger pib- biblical narrative as well. But then there's another way to misunderstand this and just be like, no, I don't submit to that. I submit to no one but God. <laughs> and that is to misunderstand what it means to submit to God. We're going to see in this passage and elsewhere that God has established institutes that we are uh, called to submit to. There there are things that God calls his people to submit to. So, for example, what are some of the things in the Bible that you are called to submit to? Okay, in the family, there's, there's submission roles in the family. There's husbands and wives. There's children to parents. What else? What are you called to submit to? Parents. There you go. Parents to children. Parents. Children to parents. Okay, what else? Okay, so we're called to submit to, our, to the elders. We're called here to submit to government. There are things that we're called to submit to. And when God calls us to submit to those things, it's not because he's trying to rob us of joy. We're going to see that God is sovereign over all. And under his sovereignty, he has established authorities for our good, for our flourishing. And he calls us to submit to him. So in this passage, we're going to see three things. That God is over all authorities and that all authorities exist for, our, for, for good. And if you resist those authorities, there, there are going to be negative consequences. So let's begin to jump in here. Uh, first, you need to understand a basic of uh, what's, what, what's called hermeneutics, which is this, the, the art and science of an interpretation. It, it's an art and a science. It's an art in the, that the more you do it, the better you get at it. It's a science that there are, there are rules to follow to rightly understand something. So a very basic way to understand this is what I call the then, always, now principle. Then, always, now. So, so what... What, what, what was meant to the original audience, to, to those first readers of this passage, in their context, what they're facing, what does this word have to say to them? And then out of that, what, what's the timeless principle that goes over all of it, always across all culture, time, and place for God's people? How does this passage apply to us? And then when we've done that work, we can bring it home. Well, what does this mean for us? in 2022 in Parker, Colorado. And is that different than our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine right now? Is that different than in China or in Afghanistan? And, and, and we'll see uh, if we jump into this. I think we'll, we will see that. So Romans 13, you need to understand first and foremost, is in this context that flows out of Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. 
Therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. So, so in view of the gospel, what God has done for us in Jesus, what, that Paul unpacked for 11 chapters, uh, he says, now live like it. And he says, first of all, it looks like humility with one another. We, we we're humble with one another. It, it looks like as, as God's people having gifts that he's given us for one another. So we serve one another and you're not walking in your calling if you're not finding a place to serve and build up the body of Christ. It looked like last week when Pastor Rick showed us the nine marks of a Christian, it looks like uh, loving one another, but also loving our enemies. And then this week it looks like submitting to our authorities. Well, let's, let's unpack this. Again, uh, he, here's what I, I think this is showing us. In view of God's mercies, we submit to government as a way to love God and love people. All authority comes from God. God has good purposes for government and rejection of government has negative consequences. Let's look at that together. It says, uh, let every person be subject to the governing authority. So every person. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. So, so Paul is just pointing out the fact that all authorities on earth are sub-authorities to God's ultimate authority. That he is sovereign, he is the ultimate authority, he's the king of kings and lord of lords. And all uh, sub-authorities fall under his umbrella. But he is the one who is sovereign over all authorities. He's instituted him. It says no authority comes except from God. God has appointed him. He goes on in verse 4, they are God's servant for your good. Says that twice in verse four. Verse six, the authorities are ministers of God. So, so God has a good purpose for the authorities in the world and for us to come under submission to them. But I, I know what, what you're thinking. We, one way to misunderstand this passage is to immediately say, yeah, but. <laughs> like, what about, what about the reasons not to submit? And, and we'll get there. I'm gonna get there in about... 22 seconds. There are reasons, but, but the right way to receive this and the right way for the church in Rome to receive this is first and foremost, well, what does this actually look like in my life? God is calling me to submit to the authorities. What does it actually look like? But the objection in our heart right now is, well, what about evil authorities, right? I mean, really, are we supposed to submit to, uh, is God really sovereign? Has he really appointed all authorities? What about evil authorities? Again, if you think your theology out correctly, uh, in this side of eternity, uh, because authorities are made up by humans who all have evil in them, all authority, it's just a matter of scale. It's a matter of degrees, right? In some degree, all the authorities have some, some evil in them. So then it's, well, at what point do, is the evil too much, right? Well, let, let's talk about the first century. Let's talk about who Paul is writing to. And what's going on there? Historians tell us that Caligula is Caesar at the time. Caligula is probably not fit to own a goldfish, let alone run an empire. Right? So, so when he becomes Caesar, he immediately has his mother and his brothers put to death so that they won't threaten his throne. He openly commits incest with three of his sisters. He cross-dresses and goes out in public. Our leaders are looking pretty good right now. We don't have any incestuous cross-dressing presidents right now, okay, that we know of, okay. Hey, we're going to get to that. I'm coming back at you. Um, okay, so, I mean, it's awful. 
He, he's, he, he uh, one time he promoted or he, he appointed his favorite horse to the Roman Senate. Horse. He later promoted that horse to the Roman consul. Which begs the question, how did that horse vote? And you can make your own joke out of that. I mean, but he's an idiot. He once got mad at the weather, so he declared war on Neptune, the, the god of the sea, and, and he sent his soldiers out to the sea to slash at the waves and take the seashells out of the sea. He was, like most Caesars, a megalomaniac. He had all the, 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 god, the statues of the deities had their heads removed and, and put uh, his bust on top of them to honor himself. Imagine going to the Lincoln Memorial and be like, oh, Reagan or Biden or Trump. Like, no, you'd be like, what is going on? Like, who is this guy, right? He, uh, he was bad, but his, the one that came after him was worse, Nero. Nero once uh, was so into himself, he burned down half of Rome to make room for monuments to be erected uh, for his honor. But the people of Rome revolted because their city was burned down and he needed a scapegoat. So he pointed to this little subculture, weird religious group called Christians and he says, they're to blame. And a massive persecution broke out among the Christians. He would uh, have these parties at night where he would uh, take Christians and cover them alive in oil and light them on fire to uh, light his parade grounds and his Colosseum. I mean, it's awful. And this is the context that the Apostle Paul says everyone should be subject to the governing authorities. But it's not just then. We see this throughout the Bible. We see Pharaoh. Pharaoh, For example, in Romans chapter 9, in the great chapter on the sovereignty of God, Paul points to Pharaoh in verse 17. For Scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up. That you may show my power, that I might show my power in you, and that my, my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Again, Paul isn't saying that Caligula or Nero or Pharaoh, all that they did was good and right under God's domain. No, it, there was a lot of evil. There, there was a lot of bad. He wasn't affirming all that. He's just saying that God is sovereign over all of it. So we see this throughout the Bible. For example, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, who is the enemy of God's people, the leader of the Babylonians. He's called God's servant. Same thing with Jeroboam, one of the worst, most evil, idolatrous kings of Israel, is called God's servant. This just kind of goes on and on throughout. We see this in, um, even in Jesus' life. In John chapter 19, as he's uh, just moments away from his crucifixion, he gets brought before Pilate. And Pilate starts to ask him uh, questions and, and, and Jesus is standing silent before Pontius Pilate and Pilate gets uh, offended and he says, do you not know who I am? Do you not know that I have the authority to crucify you? And Jesus then speaks. He says, you would have no authority if it did not come to you from above. So when the, to the question, what about evil authorities? Does, does this apply? The answer is yes, it still applies. Now, we'll get to uh, how, how we can uh, push back on that in a moment, and there is going to be that, but that's first and foremost. God is sovereign. All authority comes from God. The second one is God has good purposes for government, even evil governments. We, we saw that in Pharaoh, for example. Uh, let's look at verse 4 here. There's two things we see in verse 4. For he is God's servant. He, being the, the government, is God's servant for your good, but if you do wrong, be afraid. 
For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoers. So right there we see the two main purposes of government. That is to promote the good and restrain the evil. Promote the good and restrain evil. Insofar as governments are rightly promoting the good, that which causes for flourishing in the world and rightly restraining evil, they are uh, fulfilling their purpose in the world. Promote the good and restrain evil. So this this is why even at some level you could say uh, Putin's government is fulfilling God's purposes. There there are laws in Russia that are restraining uh, murder and and theft and and, and all all the things that are evil. There there are good laws that are are in place in Russia and insofar as that is happening, that is accomplishing God's good purposes to promote the good and restrain evil. So in the book of Acts, the apostle Paul, for example, oftentimes uh, there, there are riots that, that break out. In, in Acts chapter 19, he's in Ephesus and there, there's this riot that's going to be broken out and, and they're about to murder Paul and his companions and the local authorities step in and say, stop, stop, stop. You cannot do this. If you do this, Rome's going to roll in with their armies and take us all out. If you have a problem with this man, you need to go through the court system. There's a process. And so even in that, in the Roman system, God uh, was accomplishing his pur- pur- purposes. Evil was restrained. Paul's life was, was spared in that moment. But it's also to promote the good. To do things that only the government can do so, so that the flourishing of all society can go forward. So, so again, think about the first century. At this time, it was known as the Pax Romana or the Peace of Rome. The Roman Empire had spread so far all the way north to England, uh, south to North Africa, all the way to the Middle East, uh, that, that it, had, it had won those victories with very bloody, violent means. But at this particular moment in time, inside the Roman Empire, there, there was peace. There was rule of law. There, there were, you didn't have to worry as much when you traveled and so on and so forth. And because of the Pax Romana, the gospel was able to spread further and faster. Not just that, the Roman government had, instu- had, had built up Roman roads. You can go to Rome today and, and go on roads outside of Rome that are still uh, travelable today uh, from the first century. I mean, this is remarkable good. Like our, our roads, maybe three or four years, like we're, we're 2,000 years into this and people are still walking on those roads. And those roads, again, literally paved the way for the gospel to go forward faster than ever thought imaginable before. These are the good things. And so as God's people, we we should recognize when we benefit from the good things that the government has done for us. We drove on on roads here this morning that the government provided for us. We're in a country that that we get to worship publicly right now. I'm proclaiming in a public building that the government built and owned uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is a tremendous good and we should not take that for granted. We should often thank God and our government for those goods. We have clean water. We have electricity. We have building inspectors that have looked over our house and and, and we know that we get to uh, sleep safely at night because it wasn't put together shoddy. So so in in most uh, of our context, we talk about government is too big. And and there's probably an argument for that. But in most of the world... And most of history, the problem hasn't been too big a government. It's been the lack of government. 
You want to travel to a country where there isn't a rule of law, where, where there isn't uh, good governmental systems in place? It's dangerous. You don't want to be there. And this is the case throughout history. So when government provides, even if it's a pagan, evil government, when it provides good things, it's fulfilling God's good purposes. So promote the good and restrain evil. Now let's talk about some objections. When is it right to disobey the government? When is it right to disobey the government? Well, this is kind of built into the text. If, if, if the role of government is to promote good and restrain evil, then it is right to rebel and disobey the government whenever the government commands you to do something that God has forbidden or forbids you to do something that God has commanded. I'll say it again. Whenever the government commands you to do something that God has forbidden, you have a Uh, an obligation to rebel. Whenever the government uh, forbids you to do something that God has commanded, you have an obligation to rebel. So so we see this again throughout the Bible as well. In Acts chapter 5, Peter and John are preaching the gospel. They're arrested. They're brought before the authorities and they're told, you must not preach the gospel of Jesus anymore. And what is their answer? We must obey God and not man. And they go out and they preach the gospel. This is right and good civil disobedience. Uh, we, we think of uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The, these people who are in, a, in governmental roles, uh, God's people in exile, they've raised up through the ranks, they are serving, uh, they are ser- serving in government, uh, and uh, they come up with a law saying that uh, you have to bow down and worship the golden statue of Nebuchadnezzar. Well, God's people had been commanded, you don't bow down to idols. And so when they see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego not bowing down, what happens? For some reason, we turn this into a children's story. It's not a children's story. It's horrific. They get arrested. Nebuchadnezzar is furious. He says, heat that fire up five times, four times what it normally is so that when they try to throw uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire, the, the guys throwing them in die from the heat. But before they go in, I love what they say to Nebuchadnezzar. So our God is able to save us from the fiery furnace, but even if he does not, we will not bow down and worship this statue. It's good and right civil disobedience in that case. Uh, I think of the Egyptian midwives, uh, these these, uh, women who were told by their government that you were to uh, take the Hebrew children and and put them to death, and and they engaged in some civil disobedience, and they preserved their life, and and some of you remember Charleston Heston. He was preserved by that, so... um, Some of you get, that's an old joke. Um, Esther, Esther, there was a law that uh, she could not go into see the king unless she was uh, invited by the king. But for the sake of preserving her people, for the good of her people, the higher law was at work here and she went and saved her people. I think of Daniel. They, they, his enemies had passed a, a law saying that uh, no one can worship anyone else or pray to anyone else. They can only pray to the God of Darius. And, and so uh, Daniel hears it. He says, I'll be right back. And he immediately goes, gets down and prays and worships. He's immediately arrested and brought in because there's a higher law. I think of in Jesus's time, uh, at Jesus' birth, when the wise men from the east come and they, they come to King Herod and they say, where is he who is born king of the Jews? And it says, Herod was disturbed. And Herod says, when you find him, come back and tell me about him. I want to worship him too. 
They go and they find the baby Jesus, but they don't go back to Herod because it was right and good to disobey the government in that, in that way. And that's true throughout history. I think of uh, Corrie Ten Boom and her family who uh, preserved and hid Jews in her, in her house away from the Nazis or, or Dietrich Bonhoeffer who was a pastor and a pacifist but came to a point and said it is right and good to join uh, uh, an assassination plot against Hitler. I think of Martin Luther King who when he was arrested for his civil disobedience and his peaceful protest and in the Birmingham jail pins that letter. And what does he say in that letter? He, he acknowledges the good and right purposes of God in government, that government is good. And he calls his nation to rise up to the good and right purposes. This was good and right. So there are reasons to disobey the government. So submission doesn't mean you always agree with the government. Right? The Apostle Paul will stand uh, oftentimes before the authorities and he will plead his case. Submission doesn't mean you cannot work to change the government. Again, we see this in Scripture. We see that, that it looks different in different times and different places. But like we literally have in our government means to work to change the government. We have a voting. We have uh, in our government, we have the right to peaceful protest. We, we have all these means to, uh, we have the court systems to change the government. I think of my friend uh, David Himes, who in our first year here preached here at Redemption Park. He's a lawyer in D.C. He worked for the administration, but also for Capitol Hill Baptist Church. When the pandemic broke out and at first when no one could go into the churches uh, they have, or, or anywhere, uh, eventually the mayor of D.C. DC decided uh, people could go to museums and other public events, but you still couldn't go to a church. So Capitol Hill Baptist Church and David Himes went, took the mayor of D.C. to court saying this is unfair treatment. And they won. And they won for all the churches in the city and really for the nation to say you cannot specifically forbid that which God has commanded. And so we can work to change the government. Submission doesn't mean you must sin if the government asks you to. We've, we've talked about that. Submission doesn't mean that there can never be a justifiable war against a government. Now that's beyond the scope of this passage uh, in our time, but, but that is just war theory. We, that's a different message for a different time. Uh, so all authority comes from God. God has, the pur- has good purposes for government. And finally, rejection of government or any of God's authorities always has negative consequences. Look at uh, verse, the end of verse 2. Those who resist will incur judgment for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Verse 4. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. Verse 5. Uh, this is, therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. And, and so um, he's basically telling the Roman Christians, look, insofar as it is possible, as you are redeemed people of God, live lives that commend the gospel. Live lives that obey the laws. Don't, don't give the, the Roman government any excuse to, to, to unleash persecution on you. That, that'll happen in and of itself. But live lives that commend the gospel. Otherwise, if you're a knucklehead, you're going to be treated like a knucklehead. And the government has the right to do that. Remember in chapter 12, it says, uh, do not take vengeance. It's, vengeance is mine, it is mine to repay, says the Lord. And then in verse 13, he says, one of the ways I take vengeance is through the God-ordained authorities, through government. So what, what does this look like? How do, how does, how do we at, as a church apply this? 
So if in view of God's mercy, we submit to government as a way to love God and love people, what does this actually look like in our lives? I'll put them on the screen. First of all, we see it in verse 1 and 2. So let every person, that's all of us, that's an all play, be subject to the governing authorities. So submit to our God-given authorities. This includes actions as well as attitudes of the heart. So uh, we see actions, do what is good in verse 3. We see in verse 5, one must be in subjection. Verse 6, for because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God. So we, we're paying our taxes. We're obeying that, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. So submission to the government includes action and attitude. Action and attitude. We'll get to attitude more in a minute. Secondly, I think this passage calls us to live as good dual citizens. So... Two of my children were born on a Navy base in Okinawa, Japan. Uh, And so sometimes people ask, oh, are they Japanese citizens since they were born in Japan? And I was like, no, that's not how a lot of governments in the world work. Uh, You can't just become a Japanese citizen if you're born there. That's true here, but that's not true there. So they're not that. But, But sometimes people do have dual citizenship. And that means they have privileges and responsibilities and obligations to two different citizenships. And the Bible says that, that we have dual citizenships. We are citizens of heaven. This is our ultimate citizenship. So, so we have privileges and responsibilities as citizens of heaven, but that kingdom is, is the already but not yet kingdom. It is already that we are part of that kingdom, but, but it is not fully here. We still live as citizens on earth. And I think the Apostle Paul would say, be good citizens of where you're at. So most of us, for example, are Americans. If we want to commend the gospel and honor God in light of the gospel, we should be really good Americans. We should uh, honor our leaders. We should uh, live in such a way that, that America is flourishing because of our, our part- participation in this society. Not just for Christians, but for the whole of society. We should seek the good of our city and state and nation. I think of Jeremiah chapter 29, after the exiles were taken out of Israel and taken to Babylon, and as they're going there, Jeremiah gets a word from the Lord, and the word is basically, look, as you go there, I want you to marry, have children, work, do well, and and not just for your own sakes, Israelites, but for everyone that you're with. This is a call to us. Look at Jeremiah 29 verse 7 says, But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Christians should be known for seeking the good of the city. Be known for seeking the good of the nation. As the nation does well, we will do well. Which leads to the next point. We should discern good and evil in the public square. What I mean by that is, first and foremost, we, we know this book. And we don't know this book in just a, a personal, private way. What I mean by that is, God is God overall. He reigns overall, and, and He has laid out what it looks like for the flourishing of humanity. What does it look like? So we have to know that. We have to spend time knowing that. And again, not just for a private faith. That is not a, a Christian faith at all. 
For a generation now, we've made Christianity personal and private, and so we go to churches and we want to hear messages that are emotive in, in, in nature and just kind of speak to us and our own little private lives. And, and meanwhile, for a generation, we've neglected the public witness of God's good design in the world. And we need to go back into, rather than just wring our hands and and say, look how our culture and look how our government and look how all the ways that things are going wrong, while we just stand off to the side and do nothing about it. To be good citizens is to, to say in a winsome, loving way to enter into the public sphere and say, here's what God has decreed. Here's what's good for humanity. Here's why that's not good for society. And we raise our voice publicly to commend the world for their flourishing, for our good and their good. We have to restore a public witness. Christianity is not private. It's not just you and God. God is king over all, and so we as God's people proclaim his kingship in every domain of life. Don't be afraid. Yes, the culture has turned in many ways against God's things, but we are commanded as his viceroys on the planet, as good citizens, to be in the public square commending the gospel in God's ways. Next, I think we need to honor our authorities wherever we can. Look at uh, the, the end of verse 7 again. Pay respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. And again, this has more to do with our relationship with God than the particular individuals that we are called to honor. You, you get that, right? Like, like you can honor your mayor, your governor, your president, even if you disagree with them, right? So, so if we are called to honor and, and the first century Romans were called to honor Caligula and Nero, which is just crazy, but yet they're still called to honor and show respect. I think that starts with repenting of dishonor. We live in a culture where it's cool to be dishonorable to the God-given authorities in our world. Paul would have repelled, would have pushed back against any hashtag that just says, not my Caesar. Not my Caesar. No, you don't understand. God is God over all. That is your Caesar, right? And I've, I've spent time even in my, in my own heart and soul this week, like over the last decade, I, I know that I've done, said and done more things that are dishonorable to uh, various leaders than honorable. And so I need to repent of that. Listen, if you are a follower of King Jesus and you have said, let's go, Brandon, you need to repent on the authority of God's word, repent. It does not honor King Jesus as you dishonor king of the land. We repent of dishonor and we seek to honor. We seek to show respect. And so we, uh, we engage in, in honoring. So we, we practice gratitude. The, the, the opposite of uh, repenting of dishonor is practice gratitude. So, so when you see people that are serving the government authorities, whether they're policemen or firemen or, or public school teachers or town council or inspector of your home or uh, military members or Congress or the president, wherever and wherever you can, between one another and personally and in private prayer, we seek to honor and lift up and build them up. And thank God, thank God for the ways that they are restraining evil and promoting the good. So finally, I think that leads us to we resist our authorities wherever we must. 
We resist our authorities wherever we must. Not wherever we want to or wherever it doesn't fit our, our particular political agenda, but wherever we must. I was so encouraged uh, these last few nights as the scenes are, are, are being shown from like St. Petersburg in Moscow. The Kremlin did just pass a law that they can't do this anymore, but as the crowds, mostly of young people, are coming out and protesting their government and the war in Ukraine. So that's good and right, and that's dangerous. That takes some boldness. That takes some courage. Man, we, we, we could use some of that in our own lives. It's good and right to raise up sometimes and resist. See, all of this is for the glory of God and the, and the good of all people. So uh, before we come to this table, as we come to the communion table, I think this passage would just call us to, do, to check our heart. And in what ways are we resisting the authorities God has put in our lives? And how does that dishonor God's ultimate authority? And just turn from that and say, God, I want to honor you. Show me how I can honor people that I disagree with. And again, thankfully, we live in a country that gives us paths to, in an honorable way, make change and and bring about the good. So we praise God for that as well. So the other thing is I want to do what, I want to practice what I just preached. So in a minute, I'm going to ask you to stand if in any way you fall into this category. Maybe you are in the military. Maybe you are a public school teacher. Maybe you work for the State Department. I know there are a few in here, but, but the Bible commands us to uh, show respect, uh, to pray for, to honor those that are in these positions of authority to come under and, and give thanks for them. So if you are in any way, shape, or form in public service, in the government, military, local, national, uh, or even if you are, I know we have a lot of defense contractors, even if your whole job is to support uh, these authorities, then I want to invite you to stand up and stay standing. We're going to just pray for you. So go ahead and stand up. Stand up. You got to stand up back <laughs> I had this last time too. Yeah. So, so when the Bible tells us in Romans 13 that we are to show respect and honor for those that are, are serving us in this way, these, these are some of the people that we show respect and honor to, that they've served us in various ways. They are God's God-ordained authority in different ways over our lives. And so uh, if you are close to them, in a moment I'm going to ask you to just li- put out your hand and, and pray for them and uh, lay your hands on them. And maybe if you don't know them, don't do that. I don't know. Uh, but uh, we're, we're just going to pray for that and we'll pray and close this out. So let's pray. So Father, we thank you for these men and women that uh, you have appointed in our government and otherwise to help uh, just restrain evil and bring about good in our world. I pray, Father, that, uh, that we would see them and see others in ways that we can go out of our way to acknowledge and honor and thank you, God, for working your good will and purposes through their lives. Lord, we do pray right now, as your word commands us to pray, for our leaders, and especially right now in a week like this, for our national and even the international leaders of the world. I pray for wisdom and clarity and boldness from your spirit, that you would restrain the evil that's going on in the world, and that you would promote the good. Lord, we thank you, King Jesus, that you are on the throne, and you are the the one that is above and over all of this, and we can trust in you as a result. We can ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.